The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 186 A Preview of Christ's Return The large boat rocked beside the pier. It had not been there long when Jesus returned with his disciples. He walked out onto the dock and, to their surprise, up the boarding plank. He turned and beckoned them to follow. They had only arrived in Dalmanutha a short time earlier, but he had decided they could do no more work here. The disciples boarded and the captain steered the boat to the open waters of the Sea of Galilee and sailed northeast for Bethsaida. Many hours had passed since the disciples had eaten the meal of loaves and fishes on the mountainside at Decapolis. During the voyage from Decapolis to Dalmanutha, they had eaten almost all of the seven baskets of fragments they had collected. Now only one small loaf of bread remained not enough to feed 13 men. As the ship sailed toward the north, the men's hunger grew. Knowing they were hungry, Jesus made a simple statement as he looked out over the water. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. The disciples thought about his comment, but did not understand it. After a few moments, they began discussing it with each other. What do you think the master means about leavening? One asked. They knew that leavening was the ingredient that expands bread and makes it light and fluffy rather than flat and dense. But why was Jesus Christ's mind on leavening during this voyage? We forgot to bring enough bread with us. Another disciple said. He must be thinking about leavening for that reason. He is probably disappointed in us for not having enough to feed him and ourselves. Do you think he means that even if we are very hungry, we shouldn't eat bread with the Pharisees or Sadducees? Another asked. Jesus came over and sat by the men. Oh, you of little faith, he said. Why do you reason among yourselves that I'm referring to our lack of bread? Jesus was disappointed. These men had twice witnessed the miraculous multiplying of loaves of bread. Yet they still thought he was concerned about the lack of physical food on board. They failed to see that he was speaking about something far more important than physical food. When I warned you about the leavening of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees, I wasn't talking about bread at all, he explained. The disciples meditated on what their master said. He was not thinking of physical food, but a spiritual principle in the same way that a tiny bit of leavening puffs up an entire lump of dough, a tiny bit of pride puffs up a person's whole life. The Pharisees and Sadducees worked hard to appear righteous and close to God, and many people regarded them as righteous. But God had sent his own son to them, and they were rejecting him in order to protect their religious ideas and positions of honor. They were rejecting him because he taught that they needed to repent 
of their sins, but they didn't believe they had any. This showed that their religion was built not on sincerity and truth, but on pride. In the same way that a tiny bit of leavening can spread and spread, a tiny bit of false teaching can permeate all of our thoughts. Accepting or believing any of the Pharisees' and Sadducees' teachings would corrupt the disciples' thinking. The leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees was a dangerous thing that all must be aware of. Land ho! Andrew shouted from near the bow of the ship. They were fast approaching the shores of his hometown of Bethsaida. Andrew, Philip, and Peter had all been born and raised in this fishing village. Just gazing at the coast where he had grown up and learned to fish refreshed Andrew. Even before the ship docked, word had begun to spread through Bethsaida that the great healer, Jesus of Nazareth, was visiting their town. By the time Jesus and the disciples disembarked from the ship, a group of people was waiting on the dock. A blind man was among them. Jesus, the blind man's brother said, Will you please touch this man as you have done to so many others and restore his lost sight? Jesus looked at the blind man and felt great compassion for him. He then looked at the rapidly growing crowd gathering around the ship. He did not want to make a spectacle and hoped to keep news of his ability to heal from spreading. He and the disciples needed a bit of peace and privacy in Bethsaida. Jesus took the man by his hand and led him to a secluded spot outside of town. He spat into the man's eyes and laid his hands on his face and prayed to the father as he wiped the spit away. Do you see now? He asked. The man slowly opened his eyes. He was elated to perceive such images, but what he saw was distorted and blurry. The world did not look how it used to before he lost his sight. Yes, I, I can see, he said. But the men look like trees walking around. Jesus laid his hands on the man's eyes once again, prayed to the father again, and then removed them. Look upward to the heavens and open your eyes, he said. The man tilted his head back and opened his eyes. He saw the blue sky and wisps of clouds floating through it. He looked around and saw men. They looked like men. He saw trees. They looked like trees. He could even count their leaves. He looked into the eyes of the man who had just prayed for him and he saw Jesus Christ's face in crystal clear detail. Joy and gratitude surged through him. Jesus didn't want the credit for himself, and he did not want to attract excessive attention with this miracle. Return to your home, he told the man, and avoid the town. Do not tell anyone in Bethsaida about this. A short time later, Jesus and the disciples traveled farther north toward the city of Caesarea Philippi at the base of Mount Amon. 
They made stops in several villages in that part of the country. During a visit to one village, Jesus asked the disciples a question. Whom do men say that I am? Thousands of people had seen Jesus' actions, heard him teach and seen him perform miracles. Multitudes thought he was a teacher from God. Many thought he was a prophet. Some said he was the Christ, and a few even tried to coerce him into taking political leadership of the Jews right then. But Jesus had repeatedly avoided declaring openly that he was the Christ. He had certainly never indicated that he was there to lead a Jewish revolution against the Romans. The Jews had been expecting the Christ to lead them with miraculous victories in battle against their oppressors. Yet the miracles Jesus performed were not political or military miracles. The disciples also had to adjust their thinking. They expected the kingdom of God to come soon. They believed that Jesus was sent by God, but he still seemed very much like an ordinary human being in many ways. They had to exercise faith to believe that this man walking along with them, who was still not leading the massive revolution they expected, was the Son of God. Several of the disciples glanced at each other, wondering which of them should answer Jesus' question first. I've heard many say that you are John the Baptist. One of the men said, Who else do they say I am? He asked. Some say you are Elijah. Another disciple said, Around here there are rumors that you are one of the prophets, possibly Jeremiah, who has been resurrected from the grave. What about you men, who have been with me for so long? He asked, Whom do you say that I am? For a moment there was silence. Then God's Spirit stirred within the mind of Simon Peter, filling him with faith. You are the Christ, he said, the Son of the living God. Jesus was joyful that the truth had been spoken. Blessed are you, Simon Peter, he said. You have not learned that profound truth from any man. My Father in heaven has revealed it to you. Jesus took this opportunity to teach the disciples vital information about the church that he had come to establish and about what Peter's role and Christ's role in that church would be. You are Peter, Jesus said, referring to the title he had given Simon. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus was not only referring to an Old Testament prophecy about the Christ, but also to the meaning of Peter's title. Peter means stone or pebble, but he used this rock to refer to the massive rock of strength that was Jesus Christ. Peter had a leadership position of strength, but the true leader and the true source of strength for the church was Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was also vowing that he would establish his church and that it would never die. It would exist for thousands of years until he returned. Peter, Jesus continued, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, 
and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus was teaching that he was the head of the church, but under him, Peter was in charge. Peter would receive revelation from God, and he had the authority to teach and implement the truth and to make judgments on various questions that came up. Jesus then gave them another piece of instruction. For the time being, you must not tell anyone that I am the Christ. Jesus fell silent for several minutes. The minds of the disciples raced through what they had just heard. Even though Jesus was not leading the revolution that many Jews expected from the Messiah, he was indeed the Christ the Son of God. And God the Father had given Peter special revelation. Jesus had emphasized this revelation and explicitly stated that Peter was the leader of the church, although Jesus Christ would always be the spiritual head. As these heavy and awesome thoughts swirled through their minds, Jesus spoke again. His voice was more somber. He had more amazing, yet grave revelation to share. In the near future, I will go to Jerusalem. The elders, chief priests, and scribes will oppose me violently. In fact, they will kill me. The disciples looked at Jesus in shock. They were stunned that this would happen and that it would be so soon. Rather than leading a revolution, Jesus the Christ would be executed. Peter's emotions surged. He was distraught and indignant and pained to hear that his master would suffer such a terrible and undeserved murder. After I am dead for three days, Jesus continued, I will be raised again to life by the Father. The disciples stared at him wide-eyed. They wondered if they had understood him correctly. How could this miracle-working Son of God be murdered by unrighteous men? Why wouldn't he use his miraculous power to stop them? They were confused and refused to believe what Jesus had described. Peter took charge of the conversation. He had just been told he had a special position of leadership, and he believed he needed to change Christ's thinking. Peter took Christ to the side and looked him in the eyes. In a low tone, he told him, Never, Lord. What you said will never happen to you. Jesus looked right back at Peter and then at the circle of disciples watching them from a few feet away. Loudly enough for all the disciples to hear, Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Peter was shocked by these words. Satan? He thought. Is Jesus saying Satan influenced my thinking just because I don't want him to be murdered? That is exactly what Christ was saying. Long ago, before the first human being was created, he and God the Father had made a plan. If mankind failed to choose God's way, then the word would become a man. God would take away his divinity and cause him to be born as a lowly human being. 
Jesus the Christ. Jesus would conduct his ministry and then die to bear the sins of all mankind. Without this sacrifice, human beings would remain responsible for all their sins. They would have to die to pay for those sins and never have the opportunity to live eternally with God. Peter thought that he had rebuked Jesus because he loved him and was upset that he said he would be murdered. But Jesus knew it was actually Satan who inspired Peter to rebuke him. Jesus had just told Peter that he had a special leadership position. Satan jumped at the opportunity to swell his vanity, and Peter had accepted his influence without realizing it. The vanity spread, and instead of humbly accepting what Jesus was telling him, Peter had rebuked him. You men must not focus on this physical life so much, Jesus said. This short life is insignificant compared to the eternal life that my Father wants to give you. God does not relish my death, but he and I are thrilled that when I die, it will open the door to the God family. If you look at this from God's point of view, you will see that it is not something to be upset about. It's the best news you could ever hear. Please don't be so concerned about physical things that it blinds you to the spiritual truth. By now, a crowd was beginning to gather a short distance away. They had allowed Jesus time to speak privately with his disciples. After he had given them this heavy and powerful revelation, he beckoned the crowd closer. If any of you desires to be my follower, he said, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever seeks to save his own life will lose it, but whoever gives up his life to serve me will find it. For what does it benefit a person if he gains the entire world but loses his life? And what can a person give up in exchange for his life? After hearing these words, the crowd, and especially Jesus' disciples, had much to consider. For days, the disciples' minds churned with the revelation that Jesus had given them. They had been following their master for months, and by now they had learned to expect the unexpected, but he continually gave them deeper and deeper spiritual truth that they had to work hard to understand. Weighing heavily on their minds was Jesus' words that he would be killed. Peter and the others worked hard to change their thinking and to understand and accept what their master had taught them. Jesus loved his disciples. He knew they were trying to understand and obey, but they did not yet have the Holy Spirit working inside them and empowering their minds. Six days after the conversation with Peter and the other disciples, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a mountain. The men hiked upward, winding their way along the folds of the terrain. Even after they were far above the town and out of sight, Jesus continued to lead them higher and higher up the trail. Peter, James, and John knew Jesus well enough to realize 
that he was about to share something special. But they had no idea what it was. After a few hours of hiking, the four men neared the top of the mountain. The trail widened into a flat area, and the men stopped to rest. The disciples looked at Jesus expectantly. He said nothing. But his appearance began to change. His face grew brighter and brighter, and his garments shone as if they were made of light. The brightness intensified so much that Peter, James, and John had to shade their eyes. They were speechless. Their master, who had always appeared in every way to be an ordinary human being, was now transfigured. As they watched, the disciples saw two other figures appear. Talking with Jesus, he indicated that one of them was Moses and the other Elijah. All the Jews knew Moses was the servant of God who had led Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness for 40 years. God used him to establish the laws governing the nation. Moses had spoken with the God being who became Jesus Christ as a human being Jesus had perfectly kept the law that he had given Moses. The other man was Elijah, the prophet who faithfully served God. Even when all of Israel had turned away, he was a great leader in godly education, and he restored worship of the true God. As Moses and Elijah began to depart, Peter, not knowing what to say, blurted out, a suggestion to Jesus. Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. As Peter was still speaking, a brilliant cloud descended and surrounded them, and a voice cut Peter short. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. The booming voice was like a powerful crack of thunder. Peter, James, and John reacted quickly, falling to their knees in fear. They had just experienced a small glimpse of what the glorified Christ would look like at his second coming, thousands of years in the future. As silence descended again on the mountainside, they looked up. Moses, Elijah, the bright cloud, and Jesus' brilliant appearance had all disappeared. All they saw was Jesus, a flesh and blood man once again. But they would remember this miraculous transformation for the rest of their lives. They would remember that this human being was not only Jesus of Nazareth, not only a perfect example of law-keeping and a powerful teacher, not only a miraculous healer and the Son of Man, he was also 
the son of the living God. This man, God in the flesh, had a mission to finish, and very little time remained to do it. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church. Thank you.